Amen. God, I thank you. I thank you for those songs we have just sung. I thank you for the way, God, that I can a sense both in my own heart and in the hearts of so many here, right in the midst of some of the stories and the, the things that are playing out in people's lives, that there is a confidence that we're, we're speaking into those songs, that there is a, a faith being exerted as we sing those words. Some of us, God, literally clinging to those words right now, holding to them, believing them, treasuring them, we can sense the confidence rising within us, the reminder of where our life is supposed to be hidden, the reminder of your presence right there in the midst of it, the, the rehearsing of the gospel over our lives and, and, and the clarity that it gives us in whatever we're facing, the proximity that you have through your spirit to, to minister to us right now in the midst of that is unbelievable. And we stand in awe of your presence and your goodness this morning. And we, we just thank you. And we come wanting to learn and wanting to grow and wanting to align and wanting to rally around one another in this. And we just thank you for your presence here this morning and your power. And we sing with great passion because you passionately sought us first. And so we just offer our praise to you again. God, thank you. Continue to lead us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. You guys can grab a seat, and uh, man, welcome to Christ Church. Uh, clearly, y'all are feeling it this morning. Um, well, I, we did not need a choir. It, we, they, we would just, you guys would just drown them out. It would have been like, they weren't even singing. I couldn't even hear the choir, because we're singing so loud. That's what it felt like this morning, and I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the uh, the faith that fuels these things that we are going after. And um, we're in this last sub-series in our journey through the book of Acts, and unstoppable is exactly what I felt like after we finished that set in worship together. And uh, just have sensed, um, our staff sensed, talking to people, I've sensed just a, a growing, increasing a sense of ownership around our faith. And, uh, and just really sensing God drawing and leading us into the purpose that God has for us, each of us as disciples individually, some of us God wooing to himself who have never put their faith in Christ, and certainly then us together as a church. And uh, we got a few more messages in the book of Acts. Um, this morning, if some of you, did I notice in the notes how many chapters of the Bible we're covering this morning? I promise, normal service time, okay, we haven't, we didn't announce like a 9 and a 12 p.m. service because of this, but um, we're going after that next week, uh, Pastor Jeremy's going to finish up Acts, and then we're going to do something that's really on my heart, um, we're going to spend two weeks, when we've spent this much time in a book of the Bible, walking through it as a church, we're going to spend two weeks just talking about what are the implications of what we've learned together in the book of Acts, and we're just going to reflect a bit, and we're going to cement some things down, and I'm going to really bring you along um, in, in helping you understand how walking through a scripture, a passage, a, a book of the Bible like this doesn't just transform you individually, but it transforms a church. And I want you to see and hear some of the things that we're thinking through and processing through as a church because of our walking through this book together. And so um, this morning, though, I want to start with a question. Have you ever walked alongside a person who seems to be enduring trial 
after trial. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you, you, you look at what's happening and, and you actually, you're, you're burdened for them and you, you wonder, like, how much more can that person handle? And there's a compassion that goes out to people when they're walking through trials like that. Because what happens is the trials seem relentless. They're, they seem relentless. And, and just one after another, and may, maybe that's um, some of you this morning, and if that is, I, I, I pray that as you, um, as we walk through this message, that you would just lean in, because I believe God's got something for you this morning. And I, I want to encourage you, and I want to give you um, a, a defense to, to stand behind in the midst of that. And uh, may, maybe it took every bit of strength to get you here this morning. And maybe there's a tender place in your life right now that you're just like, I just hope no one asks because I, I don't know what my response is gonna be and I might start crying. Or, um, and in the midst of that, some of you feel like you're just a bit in a fog in the midst of the trial and it's hard to understand even what to do next. When you walk alongside people that are enduring through relentless trials, again and again, I see um, people go in one of two directions. Uh, sometimes you'll see people make a move uh, tragically um, towards a growing more and more defeated, more and more frustrated, more and more broken, sometimes spiraling in ways that break our hearts, right? There's also, sometimes you see people walk through trials and seem to endure with this like kind of supernatural like grace and power and it's almost as if the trial is strengthening them. And so, so you gotta ask when you see that, you gotta ask what's the difference? What changes the trajectory? And, and, and that's why I've um, stepped out of maybe the specifics of walking through a passage. This is what, when you walk through um, historical narrative, that's what the book of Acts is. It's a narrative of what was happening in the church. It's not like moment by moment equally. There's these big jumps and moves. And what I wanted us to see this morning in this largest passage I've ever preached through in one sermon is because I want us to look at the trials of Paul, not an individual trial, but I want us to see the relentless, um, constant trials that he was walking through at this place in his life. And they tend to be repetitive, and so that's why we're not gonna walk through one right after the other. And, and what I saw when I was reading and studying this, even leading into this series in the book of Acts, I just saw that there was one central theme that that when you see the, the, the broadness of what he walked through, there's some things that are really common throughout these five chapters. And throughout these five chapters, what you see is how he navigates trials with resurrection hope and with a focus on sharing the gospel. He seems to, in that, almost redeem and, and find a defense that he has as he's walking through these trials. There's a defense in front of him that I believe can be an encouragement to so many of us. So we're not gonna read every verse because that would take a long time. But I wanna give you just an overview of what's playing out in this section of scripture. So just follow along with me. We're gonna put it up on the screen, kind of an outline of what's happening. So in chapter 21, 37, in that verse we left off last week in 36, in 21.37 through 22.21, what you have here is Paul defends his call from God. He goes back through his testimony that we've already talked about in the book of Acts, the Damascus Road and Jesus meeting him there 
and receiving this call. And Paul's giving a defense to the crowd that's gathered in Jerusalem, and he shares his testimony. He gets an opportunity. He's on trial. He's being exposed. What's, what's Paul going to do? Uh, uh, tr- try to get out of it? No, he just shares his testimony. He shares the gospel. In chapter 22, 22 through 30, Paul is, um, the, the Romans come in again, and, and now Paul's about to be flogged and, um, and face this punishment as they try to understand what's happening. This was a common uh, way that they would go about it in the Roman government. And uh, Paul then, in the midst of this, declares his Roman citizenship. And because of that, he avoids the flogging, and he finds protection from the Roman Empire. But because of that now, he remains captive to a judicial process that's going to lead him to Rome, where he knew that he was supposed to go, but he's going to be in chains as a prisoner. Chapter 23, 1 through 11, Paul now is before the council, the Jewish council. He clarifies his reason for being on trial. He wants to clarify this before the Jewish leaders, and he says he's on trial because of the hope of the resurrection from the dead, because of what he knew that Jesus had declared in rising from the grave. And the crowd loses their minds, as the Jewish leaders do, and Paul has to be protected again. Then in 12 through 22, we find out there's a plot to kill Paul, that 40 men make a solemn vow, we will do whatever is necessary to kill Paul. But God's bigger than 40 men trying to kill Paul, so the son of Paul's sister hears about it and informs the Roman authorities. So then in 23, um, 23 through 35, Paul's now sent to Caesarea, so from Jerusalem up to Caesarea, and Felix is the governor there. He was the next highest authority. Chapter 24, the entire uh, uh, chapter is about his trial with Felix. Now he's in another trial, another opportunity. And what does Paul do? He gets in front of the people, gives his testimony, points to Jesus, shares the gospel. Paul gives a defense. He actually wins favor from Felix. At the end of 24, you find that Paul was kept in prison in Caesarea for two years. But because Felix had favor towards him, just love watching God's sovereignty and protection all throughout this, what he gives Paul is this sort of freedom. Uh, they, they put Paul under house arrest, but his, his friends can come and attend to him. You see this at the very end of chapter 24. And two years, he's in that situation. He's a prisoner, but he has access to his friends. And many people um, believe that so many of the New Testament letters were written during this time this time. It's just really cool to think about. Two years pass, a new governor, Festus, leaves Paul in prison to appease the Jews. Then in chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, Paul comes before Festus again, another trial. He appeals to Caesar because he knows that if he appeals to Caesar, he's now going to be transferred to Rome, and he knows that's where he's supposed to also testify. Then chapter 25, from 13 through the end of chapter 26, Paul's trial before King Agrippa. And there's this point in in the end of chapter 26. I want to turn your attention to it. Turn to chapter 26. Look with me, starting in verse 13. So, So now Paul has moved through all of these people, and now he's with King Agrippa, which was King Herod Agrippa II, 
uh, Herod's, uh, his father was in Acts 12, had shown a tremendous amount of persecution to Christians. And then in verse 13, you just got to follow this. You just got to see this testimony. It's one of the boldest, clearest testimonies of faith. Paul's already, already done this in every single uh, uh, a trial. But I just want you to follow along on this one. He's before the king. Like, you just got to understand the, the danger of what's happening here. Like, in one moment, the king could have just gone like this. Paul's done. He's done. He says, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, Damascus Road, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to, to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. What a picture of the gospel. And from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Which is, we're gonna look at that in a little bit because it gets me just so fired up. 24, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Watch the resistance here. Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Some people think of that about us when we proclaim the gospel. Uh, they may just not say it, in the, you know, but they did. And there's an authority here. Look at what happens, verse 25. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. <laughs> Look what happens in 26. For the king knows about these things. He appeals to the king? Paul, are you trying to get yourself killed? For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And then this is just like the, maybe the mic drop moment of the entire book of Acts. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. I mean, the king, he arose, then the king rose. And at that point, Paul might have been like, oh, here it comes. I'm done. And he, he actually meets, at the very end it says he withdraws, and he says this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man would have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul endures trial after trial in this passage of Scripture. They were trials before Roman leaders, 
And they were trials that squeezed Paul's life. Like what comes out of Paul when he's facing trial after trial and enduring imprisonment, just relentless trials. He faced resistance, threats to his life. He lived as a prisoner even though he was innocent. He was constantly transported again and again. But he doesn't seem to grow depressed or despondent. He doesn't seem to complain or whine. He just keeps pointing to the hope of the resurrection and, and what God has done in his life, and he invites others to follow Christ. Because what you see here in these trials is what you see coming out of Paul's teaching throughout the rest of the New Testament. He, his hope is not in this world. It's, it's not in what he is facing. His hope is in the resurrection. And it is a sure defense when the trials are relentless. And that in this whole passage is so deeply encouraging to us because it's a defense that protects, it's a defense that guides and leads him forward to endure whatever God brings. The big idea that I want us to capture from this passage is this. When trials seem relentless, resurrection hope is your only sure defense. When trials seem relentless, Resurrection hope is your only sure defense. Paul lives this out. His resurrection hope is his only defense. See, what, <clears throat> what happens in trials is, is that trials are the great revealer of the heart. Always. They, as some have said in counseling, trials squeeze your heart. And you find out what comes out of the heart when the heart is squeezed. What, trials... Um, they, they strip away every other lesser hope and it reveals what foundation we're really standing on, right? And resurrection hope during trials becomes, um, it really simplifies our life. I think that's why trials for some become places of great sweetness and growth and maturity. Because in the midst of trials, the only defense is your resurrection hope and what comes out of this resurrection hope are two things that I see both in Paul's life and in the life of anyone who walks through trials in a way where it seems to be changing and transforming them and causing them to gain strength, not spiral. And it's these two things, trust and testify. Trust and testify. Trust God's promises and testify to the gospel. When you strip all of it away, these are the things that become a defense because of our confidence in the resurrection hope. And so let's look at each one individually. First, trust God's promises. Trials test your defense, your defenses. And if the security of your defense is, is rooted in, in this world or in your strength or in your friends and family or anything apart from resurrection hope, it's a weak defense. And trials expose it. Trials expose that. Look at how Paul affirms his defense. Let's look at a few different moments. 23, in chapter 23, verse 6, Paul says, it says, now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he's before the Jerusalem council. He says, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect. He's like, he's like you don't have me on trial because I believe in the Jewish law or the prophets. 
you have me on trial, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. He's like, you have me on trial because I believe that the only right defense in this life is for me to trust in God's promises. And what the Old Testament has pointed to, it has been revealed in Christ and in his resurrection. That's what he's declaring here. Chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. If you look there, he says, again, now he's before Felix, another testimony. Look at the same thing, verse 14. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which is discipleship, following Jesus, he says, which they call a sect, which would have been a derogative term, almost like a cult. I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And so here he's like, I believe everything that was laid down in the law and the prophets, but here's where we differ. We even all believe that there's going to be a final resurrection of the just and unjust. Remember, consistent in Jewish theology and in biblical theology all the way through the New Testament is a belief in resurrection, that everybody is going to be resurrected. It's just one group to eternity with God, one group to eternity separated from God, heaven and hell. And he's like, we agree on this. The difference is he has his hope in the resurrection because he's like, I believe what you're waiting for has already come in the person and the work and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And his hope is rooted in these promises. Chapter 26, um, in verses 6 through 8, he says there, you can see it there, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. He's going all the way back to the tribes of Israel. As they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it, and this is a brilliant question, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? He's like, is every single angle, Paul's like, trust God's promises. This is the foundation that gives him a defense as he's walking through these trials. <clears throat> he proclaims it again and again, saying and pointing to the fact that the hope of Israel was Jesus Christ. The hope of Israel. Jesus, the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus, the one who was to come, did come, and is to come again. He's the Messiah. He's the one who died and rose again. The promised one who came to bring salvation and eternal life instead of everlasting contempt. And Paul's defense that he holds to in, this, in these trials is, trust God's promises. Trust God's promises. Promises rooted in resurrection hope. I, I imagined as I was thinking about this, these proclamations of hope in the resurrection, clinging to these promises, I was imagining some of the promises that might have been going through Paul's head. I, Isaiah 25.8 could have been one of them. It says there, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Church, Paul gives us a model for how to endure through trials and in trials when all other hopes are stripped away, what are you clinging to? He trusts God's promises here. 
it, it gives him a confidence, and that confidence comes from what he has seen in the resurrection. He has seen God's promises fulfilled, and he trusts God's promises for his future. The, what, what happens when we walk through trials is it, it tends to strip away all other hopes. It exposes false or foolish hopes. I mean, just, just think of me for a little bit about things that you can face in this life. I mean, you want to find out where you've put your hope? A walk through a major moral failure in a marriage and find out where your hope is. If you want to find out uh, where you've put your hope, uh, watch a child walk away from the Lord and you'll find out where your hope is. Want to find out where you've put your hope? Learn that a friend is spreading rumors about you, not reconciling, growing more bitter and angry towards you, even though your desire and heart is to reconcile. Want to find out where you put your hope? Find out that you have a year to live and you'll find out where your hope is. Trials strip away all other false hopes. It's, it's tempting, church. I, I know it's tempting. Our flesh and our heart want to put, we, we love to try to put hope in this world. Sometimes it's just naive and God has a way of opening our eyes to the truth of those hopes that we've tried to put our life on but, but has, there's, there's no foundation for it when we start to put our weight on it. Sometimes it's foolish and it gets revealed and we've just, we, we know we shouldn't have put our hope in that, but we try and then we find God showing it and revealing it for what it is. Sometimes we're just misled. We've just been told to put our hope in things that God would never have wanted. And when those hopes are dashed, where do you turn? Where do you turn? Some of you might be right there, right now. Where are you gonna turn? Your only sure defense is an eternal hope. A hope that rose from the dead. A hope that is preparing a place for you. A hope that promises eternal life with God. A hope in a person who loves you, has forgiven you, and wants to be with you perfectly and completely and eternally. His name is Jesus. And, and in, in an understanding of trusting God's promises, what it really is, is it's clinging to the sweetness of the one who fulfilled all of God's promises. It's the person of Jesus, and it's him at the very center of your life. Suffering and trials in this life have a purifying effect on all other competing hopes. And where do you turn? We trust in God's promises by turning to Jesus. He is the fulfillment. He is the the anchor, and he's, he's our sure defense. And if you're at this place where the trials seem relentless, resurrection hope is your only sure defense. Trust in God's promises. Trust in the person of Jesus. And stay there and remain there. That's the first one we see from Paul's life. The second we see after trusting in God's promises is testify to the gospel. When trials come, trust and testify. Trust and testify. When, when the trials are relentless, I, I just want you to see and observe in Paul's life, like I've already said, it, he just gets really simple. It just gets really simple. He trusts God's promises and he testifies to the gospel. 
I want to point out something in the middle of the trials. Um, look what happens um, in Acts 23, verse 11. This is, this is a moment that really seems to be almost at, at a key point in what's about to come. He has just faced the Jerusalem council, losing their mind again, stirring up an attack on him. He's protected and taken to the barracks. Imagine just being in these barracks and knowing outside all these people are wanting to literally kill you for your testimony. I don't know if Paul was wavering in this moment, but I sure know as we've seen, as we looked at this whole passage, all that he was going to face. And right before in verse 12, look in verse 12, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat or drink till they had killed Paul. Then look back in verse 11. He's in the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him. Like, don't ever believe that the timing of Jesus Christ and the work of his spirit in trials is not perfect. Don't ever believe anything else. The following night, the Lord stood by him. What is he going to say? Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. This is, this is the promise that undergirded this second part, that it's the trust in God's promises. Why? My, my sure defense as I walk through trials, when, when everything else is stripped away, is simply I'm going to trust in God's promises so that I can now fulfill my purpose to testify to the gospel. And Jesus walks right into his room, and he speaks this to his heart. And the tenderness of God towards us is seen in this. And his purpose for our lives is seen in this. He, 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 you see it, the purpose in the trials is to testify to the gospel. That's the purpose. For the, for the followers of Jesus Christ, our greatest, highest purpose in this life, with whatever time we might have remaining. And then I would believe and hope that would echo from our life even in death, is to testify to the facts about Jesus. I love that it said that. As you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. And Paul is so clear about his purpose moving forward. This is why every trial, every circumstance, every situation for the person whose defense is resurrection hope is not just that they cling to God's promises in the midst of the trials, but also that then through the trials, they're like, what's the opportunity to testify about the gospel? It's the same thing for us. David Peterson in his commentary states it so clearly. I love the way he said this. He said, positively, the following chapters show that Paul's suffering and imprisonment gave him many opportunities to testify about Jesus and his resurrection in unexpected places. Uh, true. You could, just, you could just look at this entire passage and just go, open doors to the gospel through trials. He has the chance to testify to a Jew Jerusalem crowd while also protected by the uh, Roman authorities the council of Jewish leaders, Felix the governor, Festus, and King Agrippa. He's just working up the chain of command. 
I'm sure there were many more in the midst of that. Church, please see in this passage that trials are redeemed, endurance is gained when we see the opportunity in trials to testify to the gospel. And I think the reason, fundamentally, why some people in trials go this direction of spiraling into a place of doubt and despondency and frustration and anger is because in trials they have not yet redeemed them in the way that God's words teaches us all the time. And so they walk through the trial and and what they're asking is they're asking, why God? Why do I have to walk through this? Why do I have to endure this? But the people who do what Paul did and they hide behind the defense of the resurrection hope, they don't ask why God. They're asking, what opportunity are you giving me? (laughs) That perspective changes everything. Changes everything. Trials teach us to trust and trials give us opportunities to testify. And this is the secret to enduring through trials with courage and strength. The opportunity to testify to the gospel redeems the trial. It becomes an opportunity, not a threat. Everything about your testimony is louder when you're trusting God's promises and testifying to the gospel in the middle of the trial. Man, I I could spend the rest of the service just walking up and down the rows and pointing out some of the people in our church who uh, week after week, I, I read the prayer requests and I see the consistent faithfulness to trust because there's an opportunity in this trial they're walking through to testify to the gospel. I can walk up and down the rows and give you testimony of walking alongside family who are walking through health issues. And I, I could talk to you about faithfulness in waiting patiently for God to provide a child. I could um, talk about a, a faithfulness walking through illness after illness, not sure if, not sure if you're going to make it through this. I could talk about um, struggles with anxiety over time and watching God be the perfect provision at the perfect time, and I could just walk through the crowd and, and testify to this. Right in the middle of the trial, your testimony is sharper, it's more clear, it is more resounding, it's louder, it's louder. C.S. Lewis said this about how God uses trials. He wrote, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I, um, even in this past week particularly, have walked through some things that have seemed relentless, both in my own life and alongside other people. And I'm watching and I'm listening and I'm noticing that the gospel seems to be a bit more clear in these seasons when we trust God's promises and when we're committed to testifying to the gospel. I believe it's why it's almost as if in in chapter 26 in this trial before King Agrippa now, it's almost as though the clarity of Paul's testimony seems to become more and more clear. 
And the major pieces of the gospel are shown here in what we already read together. Earlier in the part that we didn't read, Paul is honest and authentic about the fact before King Agrippa that um, I was the one killing and authorizing the killing of Christians. And in that, he's saying, I'm a sinner. He's just testifying to the gospel. He talks and declares about how Jesus is the Son of God. He declares the, the perfect uh, identity of Jesus. He declares that the gospel's true, that the gospel transforms, that the gospel is good news for everyone, and that he wants everyone to know Jesus. He communicates these key facts because all he wants to do in his trials is take advantage of the opportunity that the trial has given him to speak about where his hope really lies. And because of that, it's crystal clear here from Paul. Like Paul, when you face trials of many kinds, the joy comes from the reassurance that you get in trusting God's promises and in the opportunity that you have to testify to the gospel. Find your sure defense there if you're in a place where trials seem relentless. We gotta focus and let the trials strip away every other hope in our life so that we would simply trust and testify. Throughout my life um, as a Christian, this reality has gotten reinforced in my life again and again and again in the trials that I've faced, but also in watching other people go through trials. Older saints, watching the grace and the power that they have in walking through trials. One of those men that I've had the privilege of watching was Dick Lindrup. Um, many of you know um, already that on Monday, um, many of us who were close to a Dick and his wife Cindy and their family uh, found out that this past Monday that Dick died from COVID. Um, Dick and his uh, wife Cindy were friends to my family and like I said, to many, many people in our church. Dick was one of the uh, elders at Crosswinds um, that, that agreed to transition this building to be a new church plant. Christ Church would not exist today uh, if it wasn't for the faith and the vision of men like Dick. Dick was an example of a man who, in, in the different trials that he walked through in his life, was committed to trusting God's promises and testifying to the gospel. This past week, I spent some time on the phone talking to Cindy. She told me um, a story of how when Dick was in isolation in the hospital, when he uh, got to the hospital, his health was declining, and they put him in isolation for, um, for 12 days, from October 1st to October 12th. All alone, no family, no friends, facing this suffering and this trial. Cindy told me about a nurse who particularly just showed tremendous empathy and care for Dick. She, she talked about how kind this nurse was and how, how she would come alongside Dick and would hold his hand. And in that lonely place, Dick just shared the love of Christ with her. He was so concerned for the salvation of people around his life. Every trial was an opportunity to share the gospel. This was how Dick finished his life. 
Now, even as I talk to Cindy in the midst of her own certain trial of suffering, as she's lost her husband, the, the message that she's sharing even now with loved ones is that more than anything else, both to family and friends who don't know Jesus, that Dick wanted you to know the gospel. Resurrection hope was Dick's sure defense. And now in death, that hope has been realized. And there was a grace and strength in the way he lived his last days in this earth. And the truth and the authenticity of that gospel is so crystal clear today because of the way the gospel was a defense for him. When trials are relentless, resurrection hope is your only sure defense. Trust in God's promises, testify to the gospel. And some of you here this morning are um, right in the midst of your own trial. And, and, and if we were to sit down together over coffee or to talk about what's playing out in your life, I'm certain that your expression of your trials would just seem like they're relentless. Maybe it's one particular trial that just seems to be so difficult and hard to walk through. Maybe it just seems one right after the other. And so what I want to do right now is I just want to invite you to stand in the confidence of the message that we've just heard, both seen from Paul and testified to about um, the way that played out in my um, friend Dick. And um, if you're in a trial right now, as a symbol of your desire just to say, I want to, Pastor Brian, I want to before the Lord just trust and testify. Just, just stand right where you're at. And I just want to pray for some people here this morning who are walking through this. Just stand right now. Just declare, that's right where I'm at. That's right where I'm at. I'm right there. And in this trial right now, and in the circumstances that I'm walking through. Everything's being stripped away. And I just, in the midst of that, I want to do what Paul did. I want to do what God's calling me to do. To trust God's promises and to testify to the gospel right in it. So if you're around somebody standing, just reach your hands out to them. And I want to just pray over them right now. Let's pray. God, God, some of us are going to need this message in the coming weeks or months, even years. But Father, these, these saints that are standing right now are right in the middle of it. I pray in this moment that they would know how much they are loved, how close you are to them, Father, I believe because I trust your word and I trust God's community that I believe that you would bring to them a, a, an Acts 23, 11 word from you. Maybe right now, God, there would be a verse that you would speak over their life. Maybe in the coming week that you would do something so sovereignly, so miraculously perfect that it would just give them the strength to continue for another day, another week. I pray that they would stop seeing what's happening 
is anything less than an opportunity to testify to the gospel. I pray that as they press into your promises, as they trust them, that their clarity about the gospel would grow even more crystal clear. I pray that there would be people that would ask them, how are you walking through this? And they would have the opportunity to testify about you, God. I pray you'd open doors that are gonna be open because of their suffering, because of their trial. And in that, God, I pray that you would be exalted. Trust and testify. God, I know that's where I'm at. And I'm so thankful for that. Teach us, God. Lead us in this. We ask. Meet us in these trials. Let this truth be said. And let us know in the trial and through the trial, resurrection hope is our only sure defense. Be glorified in that, God. Train us in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.